Continued intensified blackouts are hitting businesses hard as they grapple with the rising cost of servicing debt, sky-high energy and transport costs, and also a slowing economy. But with no end in sight, let's delve now into the far-reaching consequences of South Africa's persistent power issues. This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends moving the markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. Welcome. I'm Jeremy Max. Business confidence hit new lows in the third quarter of this year, with the Business Confidence Index dropping from 42 to 39. This means that 61% of businesses are dissatisfied with prevailing business conditions, and that is negatively impacting their profitability. Load shedding is one of the key factors that's stopping business from investing further into their operations. Added to these dynamics is another rate hike by the South African Reserve Bank of 75 basis points. We're going to explore these issues and a whole lot more today as we welcome our guests, Business Unity South Africa Chief Executive Officer Kaskuvadia, along with Treasury Economist at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking, Tersa Jacobs. To both of you, thank you very much for joining us. I want to start with the broad overall assessment, if I can. Kaskovadia, to you, first of all. There's no doubt that load shedding is a sad reality for business in South Africa. Just give us a sense of the impact on the sector. What are you seeing in your day-to-day interactions? Well, Jeremy, the impact is obviously severe. I mean, small and medium businesses do not have access to too many alternatives to electricity. What they do have access to costs quite a bit. I mean, the price of inverters, the price of diesel for generators and so on, it all has all gone up. So the impact on costs of running business are severe. Uh, the impact on particular sectors is severe. I mean, if you look at the sort of restaurant industry and so on, it, it's by just anecdotally. I mean, on Saturday night, I, at about, I don't know, 6.30 or so, I went to go and pick up some pizzas from Kolkatia. And usually Kolkatia that time is full. This time, because there was loaching at that time, people obviously didn't come. So there's significant problems. I also just received a note this morning, actually, from an investment manager who manages a number of investments. And he's telling me that in their portfolio of 500 retail trading businesses, they've lost on average 380 trading hours a day across that portfolio. Their sales are down approximately 8% for the week and gross profit of around 10% have been lost for the week. And it says at this rate, the jobs of upwards of 8,000 employees is at risk. Now that's one fund manager across a portfolio of 500 stores. So the significant loss, the significant damage, the erosion of confidence, all of that is quite clear and it's quite evident. And within the context of an economy that's stagnant, uh, within the context of the significant social and other problems we have, this is obviously a significant crisis. So, Kaskavadia, two things there. One, your concern certainly is noted. And secondly, we know now where you get your pizzas at a weekend. Uh, Tersha, let me bring you into the conversation, if I can. Uh, before we get to actual economic impact, what, what's your sense of the crisis, very briefly? 
Jeremy, I agree with Kaz, you know, and we're also seeing it through, you know, the, the rants being driving by external factors, but, you know, the risk premium on our assets have also increased because, you know, there's downside risks to growth that will have an impact on, you know, the earnings of equities. Our bond tilts have also increased. So as I say, it's also external drivers, but, you know, it holds implications for the fiscus in terms of what kind of tax receipts we're expecting, not for this year, but going forward. So the local SI dynamics are not constructive for any medium-term outlook. And I think what Cass also alluded to, you know, the indirect consequences. If you're not sure what kind of electricity is available, will a company be willing to undertake more fixed investment going forward? So in a way, it also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Cass can perhaps allude to it, but I think we have to touch on this crisis can perhaps, you know, uh, lead to to more, you know, the renewable energy dynamics that will support fixed investment. There's at least some growth that will take place. Let's pick up that about renewable energy very quickly, uh, Cascavadia. All well and good. It is on the table, but the whole issue as far as that is concerned is uh, speed to market. Its timeline, which seems to be very slow. Yeah. So, Jeremy, I, I think and again, just to talk about some positives. So, you know, the president's energy plan, by and large, we agreed with that at BUSA. And we're working quite closely, I must say, with technical teams are meeting and we are looking at assisting with capacity and with expertise. And I think that is beginning to move. But the results of that, we've only seen 18 to 24 months. The last tranche of renewables that was announced should have been announced two, three years ago. We've lost that amount of time. The embedded energy, the president, uh, in my view, went over the head of his minister and what the correct thing to do to raise the ceiling to 100 megawatts and now the ceiling is gone. And we've been saying, you know, for time immemorial, create the environment and investments will flow. Well, when the 100 megawatt ceiling came into place from the 10 megawatt that the minister wanted, close on to 3 billion rand worth of projects went to NERSA and NERSA began to turn them around and those are now in the process. But again, they've only come on stream in 18 to 24 months. So I think the broader plan, certainly from where we're sitting and the work we're doing with the presidency is beginning to, to move. But it's not going to take care of the current crisis of load shedding. And we're going to sit with load shedding for a while. And what we've got to now begin to see is what are the options of at least ameliorating the situation to a certain extent. Uh, do we, I mean, one of the options we read, ESCOM has been considering whether we have permanent load shedding at level two, for instance, at stage two. And maybe that's something to consider. It gives some certainty to the environment. You can plan around it. We need to ensure that ESCOM has all the capacity available to buy energy from wherever it's available. We hear that the board is going to be replenished. Again, taken a long time. But if we get some good expertise on the board that can work with management and give some strategic direction in some of the more technical issues, uh, that might help and certainly instills confidence. So I think we need to look at some immediate interventions that will begin to ameliorate the current situation, not get rid of it, but ameliorate it, so that at least we can see that government is taking it with urgency and moving on it, and we can create some sort of 
degree of certainty around which we can actually work and with which we can work. I think that's where the, the debate needs to happen and the decisions need to be taken. Tersha, right back to you. And while nobody wants to see permanent stage two load shedding, it is an option, as Kaskovadia has outlined for us. All the economy wants, I imagine, at this point is a degree of planning. But even more importantly, to use Kaz's word, certainty. Jeremy, that's a very good question. The uncertainty actually goes beyond Eskom. Yes, we need electricity to to function, but you know it also goes towards logistics. What's happening with our transport? What's happening with water? What's happening at service delivery at the municipalities? We have the Reserve Bank that's hiking interest rates. So where are interest rates heading? We have the international backdrop where there's a barrage of uncertainties from Russia, you know, that's now holding a referendum to um, in the annexed um, Ukraine up to U.S. midterm elections in November. In South Africa, we have our own MTBPS and there's important issues to be considered. So that will be what's happening to the big income grant. How will Eskom's debt be restructured? And then it's going to culminate in the year by November. We will find out NERSA's announcement by the size of of um, NERSA's tariff increase granted to Eskom. You know, Eskom has applied for 32%. And then, you know, the ANC elective conference. So the fourth quarter is actually going to be very important in how many of these moving parts will unfold. So we would be able to tick off a few boxes and they may not all be, you know, in the direction that we that we're hoping for, but it feeds into the certainty or to know what you are dealing with. Casco Vadia, let me not be a complete harbinger of gloom here, but let's talk worst case scenario. And that's if the grid fails completely. We have been given assurances that that is not going to happen. But I imagine that business is starting to have that conversation, or at least it should be. Well, yeah, I mean, we obviously having that conversation, but it's a scenario that we, we shouldn't quite honestly be contemplating because... If the grid collapses totally, uh, you you then have, essentially, you have chaos. Uh, businesses will operate to the extent they can on whatever they can. The grid collapsing will also have an impact on, on renewables. And then we enter a, a real serious scenario and crisis of unimaginable proportions, to be quite honest. And that's why, I mean, we, we also need to contextualize the load shedding within that sort of scenario. That, let's just accept that Eskom has got some serious, serious problems, many historical, many current. And part of the reason for the load shedding, and I think it can be managed more appropriately, but part of the reason for the load shedding is to actually avoid a total breakdown of the grid. And and so, you know, we should look at load shedding as a mechanism to avoid a total breakdown of the grid. And so for that reason, load shedding is necessary until the sort of plan comes into place in 18 to 24 months. But yeah, we are obviously businesses are talking about it, but it's something that we, we really have to at all costs avoid. Because on top of what the other uncertainties we have, and I agree, logistics and problems there, there's uh, interest rates going up, there's global issues, 
there's the elective conference coming up, all of those. And if on top of all of that, we have a total breakdown of the grid, then I think our country is in absolute, absolute crisis. That will take us a very, very long time to come out of, and we can kiss goodbye to economic growth for many, many, many years. Something which is completely unimaginable, but something that, uh, as you say, the business community is having a conversation about. Uh, Tersha, back to you. Let's talk about the double whammy effect, if we can. Load shedding is continuing in the midst of increasing interest rates. It's a double blow for some businesses. Cass, you can talk to that in just a moment. But do you think we should be bracing ourselves for more rates hikes in this country? Jeremy, that question is at the front of the market, you know, what it's pricing in. And just looking back at last Thursday's decision by the MPC to hike the repo rate for the consecutive time by 75 basis points, the question is, will they scale back the rate hikes? The decisive factor in the Reserve Bank's decision was actually the performance of the RAND because, you know, at the time of the meeting, they penciled in a dollar RAND of 16.90 against the dollar in the inflation forecast while the RAND was trading at 17.50. So that obviously raises upside risk to the inflation forecast. You know, our imported goods are likely to become more expensive, cost push pressures arising from the weaker RAND from electricity related to all the wastage and the productivity lost. So the czar is trading at above 18. The last round of czar weakness was on the back of what's happening in the UK. You know, there we have a new incoming government. They have announced massive fiscal expenditure, tax cuts, which is going to be financed by borrowing. And the pound has now dropped to the lowest level since 1985. On the back of it, you've got a very strong dollar with, you know, the Fed hiking rates aggressively and, you know, probably another 200 rate hikes to go from their side. So all of this is undermining the the value of the czar. So if one then looks at, you know, why the Reserve Bank hiked the, the repo rates by so much um, last week in anticipation of higher inflationary pressures, one can reason there's more rate hikes to come. I think the question more is how many more do we have to go and will the Reserve Bank continue with uh, another 75 basis points? So I think that just speaks to the very uncertain market dynamics. So in addition to the uncertainty, you know, that the economy is facing, it's also being expressed in the very high levels of volatility in the financial markets. Kaskavadia, just as the lights go out, businesses are also suddenly going to have to pay more to service their loans. It really is a double blow, isn't it? It is a double blow, but, you know, it goes back to this debate about the mandate of the Reserve Bank and so on. The bottom line is that the mandate of the Reserve Bank is to control inflation, and they're going to control inflation by raising interest rates if the inflation goes out of the target range. So it is a double whammy, but we also need to be, I think, realistic here that businesses are not actually investing to the extent that they could invest in the economy. And that's because of the conditions and the environment in the economy. But in an environment where where government is not actually making the necessary structural reforms to increase investment and to get put us on a growth path, 
the impact may not be as severe as it would otherwise have been if businesses actually were investing substantially and were borrowing money. But what we need to talk about is how do we control inflation? And one of the things that the governor talked about is uh, administered prices. And again, Tersha talked to NASA's decision. I mean, if ESCOM gets a sort of increase it's seeking, if we have the sort of administered prices increase in, in some of our major municipalities, then there's still a risk of inflation not getting back into the into the range. And then we've got the global pressures of the impact of Ukraine and others on food pricing and so on. There's significant problems here that will have an impact on inflation. And so long as inflation remains high, the Reserve Bank will continue to pursue its mandate. And we certainly as business have been clear that if that's a mandate of the Reserve Bank, that's a mandate it needs to follow. It's not the Reserve Bank's job to create jobs. It's not the Reserve Bank's job to grow the economy. Those are things that government needs to actually make interventions for. Tersha, on my uh, on my studio camera, I'm seeing you nod your head there as Kaskavadia talks. Do you want to pick up that inflation observation, given that it has the potential to be a very sharp thorn in the side? Absolutely. And the issue comes in what's the balancing dynamic? Yes, high interest rates do have an impact on demand because it's a very blunt tool. Interest rates can only impact demand. But South Africa's long-term issue has been what's happening on the production side, which has been hampered by all these structural issues, which has recently actually intensified Although there are some that, as Cass touched on, progress in terms of the public-private sector process to address some of these issues. But, you know, similar to what the, the Fed and the ECB are doing, although we must just stress that in America, they're suffering from excess demand, whereas, as in South Africa, it's more a supply-side story. If you don't deal with inflation in the short term, inflation can become more entrenched. And before we know, we sit at inflation rates of about 10, 15%, which we had a couple of decades ago. And then inflation becomes part of the decision process. So the way that our Reserve Bank and other central banks are trying to deal with it is to rein in or make sure that inflation returns to the targets over the next two years so that it can stay there in the longer term, because otherwise the cost attached to high inflation is going to be even higher if you want to deal with it over the longer term. So it's a very difficult trade-off. They will be short-term costs before you can hopefully move into a lower inflation environment over the medium and longer term, where inflation is a neutral input in the decision-making process, as opposed to you mark up all your prices by 10% plus. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment. I'd just like to remind you that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please take a moment to rate us. Tosha, back to you very quickly. So the rates increases have rattled the markets, obviously. Um, How have equity markets reacted? 
Yes, last week was a massive risk off. I mean, we've seen now that the U.S. equity market um, last week tumbled by about 4%. And, you know, year to date, it's down by about 18%. Current levels are back to the lows in June. You know, and in South Africa, all the equity sector sold off last week. And even, you know, the mining sector that tends to be quite rand sensitive sold off. But, you know, the other side of the coin is, is that the dollar has been very strong. And of course, the banks, the consumer stocks have all also pulled back because of higher interest rates. So at the moment, it's it's just massive risk off around the world, fed by all these moving parts that we touched on. So, Tersha, there's no doubt that uh, the conditions that we've been talking about, load shedding interest rates have changed economic forecasts for the next couple of months. It's made your job a whole lot more difficult, a whole lot more complicated, hasn't it? It has. Um, you know, when you look at the American economy, which is very um, financialized, in other words, the value of your equities, of government bond deals, of your currency feed into real-time decision makings, which then influences your economic decisions. You know, in South Africa, we can say that, you know, because of low growth, because of the high level uncertainties, households and corporates, as Cass indicated, are not really overborrowed. You know, your your debt servicing cost as a percentage of disposable income have basically returned now to pre-COVID levels, right? But, you know, at the same time, when your equity prices are diving, that really raises the cost of funding. So that feeds into perhaps lower fixed investment or decisions to borrow for fixed investment. And I think it just underscores the, the high level of uncertainty in terms of the feedback loop between your financial financial market variables and your real economy. So we need a catalyst that will change the direction of travel. And I think if I can perhaps just here turn to to what Cass is saying in terms of what can be short-term measures. So we need anything that can just give us more certainty in terms of what we're dealing with, because that at least can provide an alleviation in terms of what's happening in the bigger picture, which we getting from all over the world now. All right, Tersha, thank you very much indeed. Those short-term measures, that thought, I want to pass that on to you, Kaskovadia, in conclusion. Uh, both of you have painted a very honest picture. Both of you have tried to look at the upside, but there is no doubt that investment sentiment, as far as South Africa is concerned, is going to be negative. Investors are going to be spooked. Cass, how do you change the narrative? How do you change, if you can, those short-term measures that Tersha refers to? Well, Jeremy, let's get back to where we started. I think the immediate stuff we need to do is to actually send out some very, very clear and decisive messages on the load shedding situation. And, you know, ESCOM is trying to buy energy from elsewhere. We must make sure that happens. The board needs to be replenished. At least it shows that we're serious about governance. Let's look at how we manage load shedding in a more certain type of way and so on. Uh, all within the context of saying that load shedding is with us for at least 18 months and we've got to work towards that time to make sure that it's not with us in 18 months. The other aspect is the broader issues that Tersha was talking about, logistics, law and order, which is becoming a critical issue, infrastructure that the private sector can invest in that will actually shift the dial on investment and growth. Water, we, we need to begin to talk about water and exactly what's happening there. 
So what we are certainly at BUSA putting to government is that we know what the problems are in all of these areas. A central element is its lack of government capacity and capability, and the private sector said that we're prepared to work with you to provide capability. And what we are talking to government about is that in each of these areas, we can identify three critical deliverables that government can move on quickly and immediately lift confidence and begin to actually shift the dial. And that's what we've got to do. And this doesn't happen in, you know, ongoing meetings and multilateral processes and wheel spinning and all of that. We need to identify where the resources and capacity sit currently, deploy those resources and capacity into government, and government needs to take the hard decisions led by the president. I think that between now and December, we're probably trading water. It's just a reality. Uh, let's be pragmatic about it. Uh, there's a major electoral conference coming up in December, and the ANC and people in government are focused on that. But we can, we certainly doing a lot of work to say that as soon as that is over, we can put to government on each of these areas, two pages that say, here's what needs to be done. Here's what you can do. And here's what we can do. And that's our focus at the moment. And we are talking to government bilaterally about this, but we accept that we're not going to get traction until probably after the elective conference, but we can do all the work necessary so that we can get traction immediately after that. And so within the next you know, six to eight months, we should be able to say we've actually dealt with some of these issues in logistics, law and order and so on, and show the difference and begin to install some confidence in this country. I think that's a good point to end it. Uh, Kas Kuvadia, also Tasha Jacobs, thank you very much for joining me on this edition of No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again on the 12th of October as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, please search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.